Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thank you for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. The U.S. has been pulling back from the Middle East during Donald Trump's four years in the White House. And considering how U.S. policy in the region has gone since the heady days of kicking Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait, it may be understandable. But is retrenchment the correct course for the U.S.? We're joined by Stephen Cook, who thinks pulling back from the Middle East is the wrong move for the U.S., as he outlines in his article in Foreign Affairs, titled No Exit, Why the Middle East Still Matters to America. Stephen is an Eni Enrico Matei Senior Fellow for Middle East and Africa Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. Stephen, good to have you back on The Crisis Next Door. It's great to be with you, Jason. Stephen, the last time we chatted on the podcast was one year ago before the pandemic swept across the world. While that has had a chilling effect on many facets of life around the globe, the one thing that has not changed has been the continual struggle for supremacy in the Middle East with warring sides continuing to slug it out in Syria, Yemen, and Libya. Now, as you point out in your foreign affairs piece, No Exit, the U.S. has had a dismal record over the past two decades in the Middle East. How is that shaping current U.S. policy decisions toward the region? It's a great question, Jason, and it's really the question that is occupying the time of many Middle East analysts uh, in Washington and beyond. Um, The last two decades, certainly since uh, the invasion of Iraq, the United States has confronted, you know, two uh, two wars that uh, have been dragged on for a long time. Uh, Continuation of the extremist threat, uh, no resolution to the Arab Israeli conflict. uh, No country in the Middle East has become uh, more democratic as a result of U.S. efforts. And in fact, when you look across the region, it is more unstable than it has ever been uh, in recent memory. Not now, not all of that is the U.S.'s fault, but there is a, a question uh, that is at the heart of our current foreign policy debates, which is, does the United States still need to be in the Middle East? What interests are being served by being in the Middle East? And uh, would the Middle East be better served by an American withdrawal from the region? Um, There is, given our track record over the last two years, a a consensus has formed about in leaving the region in some way. Uh, And um, the article that you were nice enough to mention is is a response to, to those arguments. 
What would you say America's vital interests are in the Middle East? Well, traditionally, our vital interests in the Middle East have been the, has been the free flow of energy resources out of the region, uh, helping to ensure Israeli security and maintaining American dominance in the region so that no single state or group of states could challenge either of those two other interests. And then, of course, add to that um, counterterrorism and counterproliferation, which um, all of those things, Americans over a long period of time have demonstrated their willingness to invest in, defend and sacrifice for. Um, I think the question that people are asking is, are those interests as important to us as they once were? And in fact, in the article, I say is that they may no longer be as critical as they once were. Um, the United States is uh, independent when it comes to oil production. Um, Israel is uh, Israel's security is now beyond a doubt um, so that there are changes that could be made to American policy in the Middle East. But withdrawing from the region uh, is actually a, a, a risky pro prospect and actually may make things more unstable. You mentioned the fact that the U.S. has been really pumping out a lot of oil to become energy independent. And, of course, there is the wider move towards clean energy, but still a lot of need for oil. And a real surprising situation a year ago when the oil facilities in Saudi Arabia were attacked and most fingers of blame were pointing at Tehran, yet nothing happened. Uh, on the one hand, a major war was averted, but on the other, it seemed to defang the U.S. and its longtime mission to protect Middle Eastern oil fields. How do you think that affects Iran's view of the U.S. and its ability to act with impunity in the region? Well, you know, it's it, it, it's interesting because the the bombing of the Khorez and Abqaiq oil facilities in Saudi Arabia came after a long and difficult summer in the Persian Gulf in which the Iranians uh, affixed mines to uh, oil tankers, took two other oil, oil tankers hostage for a while, shot down an American surveillance drone over the Persian Gulf. Uh, and then, uh, as I said, uh, took this dramatic action of taking 50% of the world's oil supply off the market, albeit temporarily, but this was uh, rather dramatic. And the Trump administration's response ran counter to four decades of declared U.S. policy that the that an attack on uh, the uh, Middle Eastern oil facilities and uh, navigation in the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz and the and the and that area was uh, would be respond would be met with a commensurate military response um, and. Uh, the United States didn't do that, uh, raising questions uh, about whether and, and not only did it not do it, but it, it didn't do it with the approval of uh, the American foreign policy community across the political spectrum, which raises uh, which for me was a, a data point uh, suggesting that um, the United States will in time uh, end up leaving the region now. You know, I can make an argument that even though the United States has become independent of uh, has become the world's largest producer of oil, um, that the United States still needs to stay in the Persian Gulf and to protect the sea lanes uh, for the health of the global economy. 
Um, but it's politically appealing in the United States to talk about energy independence. And thus, if the United States is energy independent, the United States doesn't need to be in the Middle East. But until the economy, as you suggest, until the global economy is decarbonized, uh, oil and fossil fuels are going to be uh, very, very important. Do you think a Biden White House will look upon the Middle East differently than Trump has done in his four years? Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, I think that the uh, Biden administration will look to re-engage uh, with the Iranians. Um, we'll take a much harder line with uh, regional leaders who have terrible human rights records. Uh, those are countries that the president has essentially given a pass in, 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 the, in his broader goal to in, apply maximum pressure on the Iranians. Uh, maximum pressure, it's, you know, an, another debate that we have in Washington is whether maximum pressure works. Um, there's really no evidence that um, the president's policy with regard to Iran has worked very much other than uh, to make life very difficult for millions of Iranians. Uh, the Iranians continue uh, to play a malevolent role around the region. They have, uh, they are closer to uh, their goal of developing nuclear technology than they have before, and are in fact engaged in a program to to build a new nuclear facility. So um, it, it strikes me that a Biden administration will see diplomacy as the best way to move uh, Iran away from this goal. My my own sense is that. Um, a, a second Trump administration uh, continuing maximum pressure and talking about regime change uh, radicalizes the region in one way. Yet a new nuclear agreement and diplomatic outreach to Iran radicalizes the region in another way. That's to say, when you talk about maximum pressure and regime change in Iran, the Iranians lash out across the region to demonstrate that they have the ability to respond and make life miserable for America, for the United States and its allies. When we talk about a new nuclear agreement, opponents in the region of that nuclear agreement, Israel, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, uh, those three countries in particular, but others as well, will use all the resources available at their disposal to try to undermine uh, undermine that uh, agreement. So um, in the foreign affairs article that you mentioned, what I say is that it's the, really the, the, the most realistic and realizable uh, policy with regard to Iran is actually one that is based on containment, that we contain the Iranians, we contain their adventuresome, uh, adventurous foreign policy around the region, uh, while at the same time trying to deny them the, the components of the nuclear uh, program that they uh, are developing. There's been a lot of talk over the past decade about the so-called Shiite crescent extending from Iran through Syria and Iraq and into Lebanon. Has that been overstated? Has that not gone as well as Iran might have hoped due to Israel's moves in the region encountering it in Syria? Well, certainly, I, I think that the, the idea of a Shia crescent into, expressed in sectarian terms has really been overstated. But the Iranians do have a goal, uh, and their goal is to extend their influence throughout uh, throughout the region. And one thing that the um, Israelis have done, particularly in Syria, but they've also extended uh, into Iraq, is to try to deny uh, the Iranians the ability to establish themselves in a permanent way in Syria. 
And they've basically been fighting an undeclared war against uh, Iranian and Iranian-backed forces in Syria. Um, and the Iranians have demonstrated that they really don't have any uh, kind of effective response uh, to the Israelis in, in Syria, which have really had their way. Every time the Israelis detect something going on in Syria or Iraq with regard to Iran or its proxies, um, the Israelis uh, take action and the Iranians have not been able to respond in kind. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're joined by Stephen Cook, author of an article in Foreign Affairs titled No Exit, Why the Middle East Still Matters to America. Russia has gone the opposite way of the U.S. and has invested heavily into Syria, Libya, and elsewhere. And China is making more noise in the Middle East with a 25-year comprehensive strategic partnership agreement reached this year with Iran, and China investing hundreds of billions of dollars into Iranian infrastructure should the U.S. be worried about Russia and China in the Middle East? Well, certainly the Russians and the Chinese, the Russians are back in the Middle East. Um, their intervention in uh, Syria, uh, whether leaders in the region like uh, Bashar al-Assad or not, uh, demonstrated, however, that um, the Russians would stand by their longtime allies. In contrast, from their perspective to the United States, uh, which, uh, after a short period of time of protests against uh, Egypt, Husni Mubarak backed away from Mubarak and demanded that he leave office. And that's the distinction. And so it has given the Russians a fair amount of influence uh, in the region that they have extended beyond Syria to other places. The Russians have portrayed themselves as non-ideological, competent, and ready to lead. And they have capitalized on uh, American mistakes uh, over the course of the last uh, course of the last few decades. But of course, you know, the Russians, for all that they have done in Syria and for all uh, that they have portrayed themselves as re ready to lead and the receptivity from some countries in the region to their uh, exercise of power in the region really can't compare in terms of the United States in terms of uh, America's uh, security and defense assistance that it can, can provide to countries of the region. China is very interesting in that, you know, it has made this a, a, a big move in Iran, but it has made a big move everywhere. It has, uh, over the course of the last uh, few decades, upgraded its relations with Saudi Arabia, with the United Arab Emirates, with Egypt, with Algeria, with Morocco. Um, these are all countries that um, are uh, partners uh, of the United States. And this is part of uh, China's much ballyhooed Belt and Road Initiative, uh, which is, depending on who you talk to, either uh, something that is uh, designed to facilitate uh, China's continued rise as an economic power, or it is that plus China's effort to supplant the United States in terms of uh, the country that provides stability and order in global governance. Um, either way, uh, it's clear that the Chinese are in the region. They've invested heavily in the region. But even so, um, they once again don't compare to um, what the United States can provide these countries in terms of security and defense assistance. And for all of the Chinese uh, investment in places in North Africa, for example, it really pales in comparison 
to the kind of investment that the Europeans, for example, have made in that part of the region. Russia and Turkey have found themselves on opposite sides in Syria and Yemen. Turkey, of course, a NATO member, but its relationship with the U.S. has seemed anything but that of an ally. How big of a thorn is Ankara in Washington's side in Middle East affairs? Oh, it's a big thorn in uh, in Washington's side. Uh, you're right. Turkey is a, is a NATO ally, but it's not exactly a partner. And there are a variety of issues uh, on which the United States and Turkey just do not agree. And the Turks have pursued their national interests independent of America's wishes. And the list is rather long, but you can start with um, the Turks facilitating the Iranian effort to get around U.N. sanctions, uh, the Turks uh, complicating the American effort to fight the Islamic State in Syria, Turkish violation, routine violation of Iraqi sovereignty. Uh, you can uh, point to uh, Turkey's support for Hamas, the Islamic resistance movement, uh, its um, uh, efforts to uh, delegitimize the government of Abdul Fattah Sisi in Egypt. Uh, Sisi came to power through a coup in 2013, um, but uh, the United States uh, has decided to uh, recognize uh, that government, whereas the, the Turks have not. And, and Egypt is, a, is important to the United States. So there are a long list of issues on which the two countries are divided. And there doesn't seem to be uh, a way in which uh, the United States can pull the Turks back. They just see uh, the region differently. They have different goals and different priorities. And as I said, are intent on pursuing their interests independent of the United States. Iraq, of course, is the grim reminder of America's current failures in the Middle East. Is it possible for the U.S. to remove itself from Iraq without an even worse calamity laying in wait for the country? It's, a, it's an interesting question, and, and I, I think the answer is no. I think one of the, one of the stunning ironies or upside-down logics of our uh, misadventure in Iraq is that if we want to get out of, out of Iraq, we're going to have to stay a while longer. Uh, we already have uh, withdrawn a considerable amount of force from Iraq. There's only about 5,000 uh, American uh, service members in the country now uh, on a very specific uh, training mission for the uh, for and with the Iraqi security services in terms of counterterrorism and just kind of increasing the ability of the Iraqi military. Uh, to operate and to defend the country's sovereignty. Uh, Iraq has uh, significant, Iraqi sovereignty is contested by a number of different countries, uh, including uh, Turkey, including uh, Iran. And of course, you do have the American presence there, which also raises questions about Iraq's uh, sovereignty. But I'm afraid that if we left before uh, the Iraqis were more competent in the counterterrorism mission, as well as defending their own sovereignty, things might get worse. We already had a taste of that when the United States withdrew from Iraq in 2011, only to have to, re to go back uh, a few years later after ISIS overran uh, Mosul and other places in Iraq. Uh, it hasn't been much in the news recently, but of course, ISIS and other extremist groups remain a threat in Iraq, as in uh, as is in other parts of the region. Stephen, do you see that uh, the fight against Islamic jihadist group would be severely threatened with the U.S. pulling back? I mean, that seems to have been one of the main facets of U.S. policy in the Middle East over the past two decades has been 
rooting out Islamic jihadists in the Middle East. Uh, That is uh, an important part of the mission. And I think there's an argument to be made uh, in fairness that if the United States leaves, uh, extremists uh, would not be able to use the American presence uh, as a as a, a mechanism of mobilization for people to follow them and carry out acts of uh, terrorism. But really, the American presence is one factor in a complicated set of factors that leads to this uh, phenomenon. And I think that these groups, uh, particularly in places like Iraq, where uh, government authority is is limited in a lot of places, uh, without the kind of uh, help from the United States, uh, these groups will not feel the pressure. They'll be able to thrive and return once again, not just to threaten the Iraqi government or other governments in the region, but potentially governments in Europe. Just had a, a, an attack in in France. Uh, and and uh, I, I think it is um, premature to declare that our fight against extremism is over. I think we need to do a it differently. We need to do a better job of it. Uh, I think we there are aspects of what we have done over the course of the last two decades uh, that have been counterproductive in that fight. Um, but never it, it doesn't mean uh, that we shouldn't learn from those two decades and continue uh, to meet the the threat of extremism. It will be fascinating to see where the U.S.'s long and oftentimes conflicted relationship goes with the Middle East in the coming years. Stephen, thank you very much for joining us again here on The Crisis Next Door. Thank you so much, Jason. It's a pleasure to be with you. We've been joined by Stephen Cook, an Eni Enrico Matei Senior Fellow for Middle East and Africa Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.